morning. My sermon title today is Trusting God at the Crossroads. You know, I was thinking as we were singing, uh, I Surrender All. It's real easy when things are going good to, say, to sing that. But when you're going through a crisis or a trial or a challenge and you're standing at the crossroad of that crisis, that song can be very hard to sing. It's going to be out of 1 Samuel, the first chapter. So if you would like to turn your Bibles there. While you're doing that, I'm going to read a, uh, a poem in her book of poems titled, Tell Me Again, Lord, I Forget. Ruth Harms Calkin writes, Lord, just today I read that Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten with wooden whips. Again and again the rods slashed across their bared backs. But in their desolate dungeon, their feet clamped in stocks. They prayed, they sang, and they praised in this musty midnight of my life, imprisoned in a dungeon of confusion, bound by chains of anguish, help me, please, help me to pray, to sing, to praise. Until the foundation shakes, until the gates fling open, until the chains fall off, until I am free to share the good news with other chains bound prisoners. When we're in the middle of a trial, sometimes we'll call it a dark time or a musty midnight of our lives. We feel alone, imprisoned, bound by chains of anguish, shame, fear, worry. They're not fun. Nobody wants to go through them, but we do. And when we do, we're accountable for one thing. We're accountable for one thing. That's our actions. How we respond to others and what we do. And the same is true of these two women in 1 Samuel, in the first chapter. I was going through a time in my life, and actually I'm, I still am, that... I felt I was at that crossroad. And I thought to myself, Lord, I need help. And I went to Scripture because I felt like I was being attacked. I was at war. I, I guess in my mind I went to First Samuel because there's a warrior in Samuel, in the book of Samuel, right? King David, he's the warrior. So I, I went there expecting to be taught something through David, but I didn't get past this first chapter. God showed me, really reminded me, four basic principles through these two women that gave me hope when I was standing at the crossroad. And my hope today is that through the Spirit, God will bring encouragement into your situation, into your trial, as you begin to apply these four basic, simple principles. 
really today is just a review. You probably already know these things, and I did too. But boy, what hope did it bring for me. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are truly an amazing God. You care deeply for us. And you desperately want us to know that. Father, right now I just pray that you would give us expectant minds and our hearts would be humbled to hear what you have to say. And Father, may we be just willing to say, I surrender all in response to what you tell me. In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Alcanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. Basically, he was a Levite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of you have probably read this passage before this chapter. And as I'm reading through this, I, I was like, why, why are these two guys mentioned, Hophni and Phinehas? I mean, they're not mentioned for the rest of the chapter. It's almost like, like they're not supposed to be there. But we know that this is God's word, so it is supposed to be there. The only thing I can think is that the writer is giving us some background. He's telling us what kind of time this was. What was the life and times of the people here? So let's back up. Before Alcana marries Penina, before Alcana even marries Hannah, let's set the scene a little bit. Hophni and Phinehas later in Scripture were described of having no regard for the Lord as wicked men, folks, and they were leaders in the church. Their father was the high priest, Eli. It would be like the senior pastor in today. Now, he didn't stop his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, from doing the evil that they did. He allowed it to continue. Judges says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So basically, this was a time where everybody just did whatever felt good to them. If they wanted to do this, they did this. If they wanted to do that, they did that. Godliness was a thing of the past. Their mindset was, ah, that was then. This is now. 
corruption, all levels of society. In the church and out of the church, there was violence, theft, oppression of the poor, sexual immorality. It was during this time, in this town of Ramah, lived that man, Alcana. Alcana, that's an interesting name. It means God purchased or God created. Like I mentioned, he was a Levite. So that would mean that he would be serving in the church too. But probably because of the time, there wasn't many people going to church. So there really wasn't much need for his priestly duties. He didn't marry two women at once. He married one and then another. He fell in love and he married this beautiful young girl named Hannah. Her name means grace. Hannah was a woman of character, a woman deep devotion to God. She was obedient and faithful. She had what we would say every good quality of a good mother. We would say, boy, she is going to be a great mother one day. Every year, these two, Alcana and Hannah, would travel from Ramah to Shiloh. Now, this is a 15 to 20 mile journey that they would do on foot, on uneven dirt, on rocks. It was about a two-day walk is probably what it took. <laughs> we can imagine the conversation. Young lovers, how many kids do you want? Oh, what do you want to call them? Probably starting a family probably took place in the conversation, that first journey from Ramah to Shiloh. But then time goes by, months, maybe even years. And they both soon realize they ain't having kids. Hannah is barren. To be barren today doesn't have the same stigma that it did back then. Sure, women... When they're little girls, they, they dream of having kids someday. And when things don't go that way, there's some desperation there. I'm not trying to minimize that for today. But years ago, back in this time, it was very difficult to be a barren woman. Because God said, be fruitful and multiply the earth. The Israelites, they took it very seriously. Children were seen as a gift and a blessing from God. For a woman to be barren, it was considered a severe punishment and a curse. Mm. Rachel cries in desperation in Genesis 30, Give me a child or I'll die. It said that if you were a woman married and you were barren, you have failed to fulfill the primary expectation of a woman. So in other words, if you didn't have kids, you were less than a person. You were worthless, ridiculed, talked about, pointed at, put down. And for some reason, polygamy seemed to be some sort of solution. We know this from Scripture. Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham and Rachel, Bilhah to Jacob. 
But Hannah, she would have felt inadequate as a woman, neglected, humiliated, worthless, lonely, physically and emotionally drained. For Hannah, she was standing at the crossroad. She was in a crisis of her faith. And one of the biggest mistakes that we make when we're standing at the crossroad is we run before God says, go. We get ahead of God. We don't wait for God, but we run ahead of him. Whether it's out of excitement or despair, we go. I don't know how many times I'd be excited because God was leading me in a direction and boom, I was off and running. Big mistake, big mistake. For these two, it was no different. They took off running. We got to do something. I have no kids. Enter woman number two, Penina. Her name means pearl, ruby. So she was probably a very beautiful woman. But she was a woman like Hannah coming into this marriage with hopes and dreams of sharing her life with somebody that she loves, romance, starting a family. She had those same hopes and dreams. Not much is said about Penina in Scripture, but we know right out of the gate she's successful because she's fertile. She, she has sons and daughters. Folks, that's a minimum of four. But she, too, realizes she is inadequate. The husband that she loves so deeply doesn't love her back the same. His heart belongs to Hannah. She's desperate to win the affection of her husband. She sees how he looks at her, how he talks to her, how he just hangs on her every word. She probably has questions too. I gave you kids. How come you don't love me more? What's wrong with me? It isn't supposed to be like this. For Penina, she's standing at the crossroad. Life just wasn't being fair. And you know, sometimes life just isn't fair, is it? Life just throws you a curveball. You desperately want something, but it just seems to be out of your grasp. Or maybe it just runs through your fingers. You can't hold on to it. A healing for an illness or a job or maybe a better paying job. You just can't seem to get maybe reconciliation in your marital relationship or maybe a relationship of a close friend. Things just aren't going the way that it's supposed to be. It's just out of your grasp. There's just nothing you can do. Can you identify with the feelings of these people? 
Can you feel their pain, their hurt? So how do we deal with circumstances? What can we do that is pleasing to our Father? That is an important question. I told you that there, uh, God showed me or reminded me of four basic principles. One of those principles is my plan is not God's plan. My timing is not God's timing. Now that is the basic of the basic principles that we all know. But do you believe it? We kind of live in a time where we want everything now. How do we know what his plan is? Well, if you want to know his plan, the one thing that you cannot do is run ahead of him. You see, if we run ahead of God before he says go, we run right out of his plan, right into our plan. And then what do we do? Well, now we're operating in accordance with our plan. So we do things that we think we should do. That creates more problems than we began with. Yeah, I was just talking with Brian, and he was just telling me today that God showed him that <laughs> about his vehicle. You know, if we would have only just did what God said to do to begin with. It's hard to surrender all when you're standing at the crossroad. You feel like something has got to be done. Second principle is remembering God is actively involved in my life. Say that. God is actively involved in my life. Say that again. God is actively involved in my life. Do you believe that? You know why I had you say that repeatedly? Because sometimes... We need to repeat it to really believe it. Sometimes we just forget it. Remembering that he is actively involved, even though you don't see him, even though you don't see what he is doing, just like he was in their life. How was he involved? Verse 3 said that every year they went from Ramah to Shiloh to worship. Remember, this wasn't a 20-minute drive in an air-conditioned car. This was a 15 minute or a 15 to 20 mile walk done on foot. And he did it every year with both wives. Imagine those conversations. <laughs> Awkward. Bet it was a lot more quiet then, huh? Even though there was division in the home, Alcana took his family to worship. God was actively involved. Verse 4. On the day when Alcana sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Why do you think he did that? It says, because he loved her. Oh, wow. This special portion this double portion or special portion, this would have been a constant 
reminder to Hannah. Hannah, you're loved. Hannah, you're valued. You're important. Don't miss the second part of verse 5. The Lord had closed her womb. Wow, that's hard to hear, isn't it? That is tough. God was the one who didn't allow Hannah to have children. She doesn't know it because she's living it. She's in the middle. She doesn't know the end of the chapter, let alone the next verse. But God is actively involved in her life, just as he was from the very beginning. And and for you, you don't know what God is doing. God is actively involved in your life, just as he was from the very beginning. I'm sure that God being involved in Hannah's life, was this was not what she had planned. You know why? It wasn't her plan. It's his plan. My plan is not God's plan. My timing is not God's timing. God is actively involved in my life. Verse 6. And her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. Penina's reaction. She's standing at the crossroad, and she responds. She lashes out at the person she thought was the cause of her pain, of her hurt. She lost her focus. Penina lost her focus. She had kids. She had a home family. But she focused on that one thing. On that one thing. Verse 7 says, So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. (laughs) You ever done that before? Focused on that one thing? Forgetting about all of the blessings that God has given you. We just had Thanksgiving. We we had time to think about those blessings. But it's so easy to focus on the one thing and forget about them. I don't think any of us are really innocent. Penina wouldn't let it go. Verse 8, And Alcana, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Okay. So, if there was a top ten list of the most insensitive things ever said, this would probably be number one. Uh, Ladies, We're clueless. (laughs) Hannah's name was Grace, right? (laughs) Show me some. But notice how Hannah reacts to her crisis. Verse 9, after 
They had eaten and drunk in Shiloh. Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Great reaction. She prays. She goes to God. She pours it out to her father. And I love this prayer because it's a, it's a prayer based on perspective. The term that she uses, Lord of hosts, the Hebrew is Yahweh Sabah. Yahweh is God's proper name. Sabah is an angelic army organized for war. This term is used 180 times in the Bible. And guess what? This is the first. She recognized God's position. She says, I know who you are. You are the leader of all of the angels. You can do anything. She recognizes his position and his capabilities. And then she calls herself servant three times in this prayer. The Hebrew word is ama. It means female slave. She recognizes her position. Lord, I will do anything that you want me to. I am your slave. You are my master. She recognizes her position and states her willingness by calling herself a servant. And then she vows a Nazarite vow. At the very end there, she says, no razor will touch his head. That is a, a common Nazarite. If uh, you're going to be a Nazarite, then you're not. Remember Samson? He wasn't the best of Nazarites, but she vows this Nazarite vow. And in her mind, she, she made another decision. In verse 22, we know that she would give her son to Eli after she weaned him. Now, to me, to me, this is amazing. Because you have this woman who was barren, living this way in desperation, feeling this way with the society pressures in Penina, eating at her tail constantly. And she says that she'll give him back to the Lord after three years. Folks, remember Eli? The high priest, he was a dad. Remember his sons? He wasn't the best of dads. He allowed his kids to do evil. But she made the decision to give him to, to Eli to be raised. And now, 
if she was to do that, she has no idea if she'll ever have kids again. She, she doesn't know that she'll have more kids. This might be her only one. And then she would be without child again. Going right back into the same life that she had lived. I think there's more to this story. Just an observation. I believe this whole thing points to the coming Messiah. I think it's a foreshadow of the Messiah. I think it points to Jesus. You know, really, we when we're reading Scripture, I like to ask, how, how does this relate to Jesus? But this is just an observation. Um, Alcana was a Levite. He was married to Hannah, who was barren. New Testament, Zechariah was a Levite. He was married to Elizabeth, who was barren. Hannah had a son, Samuel, and offered him as a Nazarite. Elizabeth had a son, John the Baptist, and offered him as a Nazarite. Samuel prepared a way Remember, this was a time where there was no king. But Samuel prepared a way for a great king, King David. John the Baptist, he prepares the way for the great king, King Jesus. Just an observation. Verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Why do you think Eli thought she was drunk? Well, and during this time, people didn't pray like we normally do, quietly. That was not done during this time. They, they prayed out. Just like I'm speaking now would be how they would pray. So, it wasn't normal to see someone praying like this. But it's also a window into the life and times of the people during this time. It, would, it was more normal to see a person drunk at church than it was to see a person praying quietly. Interesting. Verse 15, But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink. I've been pouring my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away and ate. Her face was no longer sad. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes hearts, and prayer changes faces. If you go into prayer, and you come out with an unchanged heart, you're not done. Go back in. Spend more time with your Father. Pour out everything to Him. All of your anger, all of your frustration, all of your hurts... And then, after you've done, poured everything out, 
Allow him to fill up what you've poured out. And I love verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house at Ramah, and Alcanah knew Hannah, or he slept with his wife, and the Lord remembered her. <laughs> oh, that is great. The Lord remembered her. I love that. You are not forgotten. You're not alone. <laughs> he remembers you. He loves you. He cares for you. Jesus knows your pain. Like Anna, Jesus was a person full of character. He was a person full of love and gentleness, and he was treated unfairly by rivals at church. They wanted what he had, and they couldn't get it. So what did they do? They stripped him of his dignity out in the open. They humiliated him on the front yard of the world on that cross. Jesus knows your pain. You're not forgotten. You're not left alone. He's there. He's waiting, listening, and he wants to reveal himself to you. And that's the third principle. God wants to reveal himself to you. Isn't that awesome? God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know him. Could it be that God's big plan right from the very beginning was to reveal himself to Hannah in a miraculous way? He was the cause of her barrenness. He knew how it would make her feel to be a barren woman at that time. He knew she would be humiliated. He knew that Penina would exasperate her to tears year after year after year. But he also knew that it would bring Hannah to himself in prayer so that he could reveal himself to her. So Hannah quietly slips away to get with God. Now let me ask you, where do you go in times of hurt, frustration, and pain? Do you stew about the situation or the person, making yourself more angry and angry, thinking of ways of lashing out? Or do you go to the one who wants to reveal himself to you? And he does this in prayer. Hannah goes to the one who could do what she could not. She trusts God. She was faithfully committed to God. She didn't want to be going through this, but she was. And that didn't stop her from being faithful to God. And don't let it stop you. When you know that God has a plan, that he's actively involved in your life, and that he wants to reveal himself to you, it is so much easier to trust him. To be faithful to him, no matter what your circumstances are. Because, you know, feelings come and go. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But faithfulness 
is an everyday occurrence. That's my fourth principle. Feelings are fleeting, but faithfulness is forever. Feelings are fleeting, but faithfulness is forever. When you're living at the crossroad in the moment of your trial, it's hard to remember that it's going to end because sometimes it feels like it's going to go on and on and on and on and on, year after year. And it was no different with Hannah. Her trial started when she first got married. She was barren. During all those years, Hannah endured. Hannah persevered. I love what what James says out of the message. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is being forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Now think about those two women. Boy, isn't that true. Their faith life was forced out into the open. And now we can see. Where was Penina's faith? In herself. She had her own plan. What was Hannah's faith? She trusted in God. See how it's forced right out of the open for you to see. Did you know that God is building your faith? He wants your faith to grow. And he uses trials or challenges or call it whatever you want. But he uses those times in your life to build your faith. It's as though it's as if God is standing here before you today and he says, do you believe me? That's his question to you. Do you believe me? Maybe you can relate to Penina. Maybe you've lost your focus. Maybe you've lashed out. So what should you do? Go to God in prayer. Repent. It's a sin. Just go and confess it to him and tell him, Lord, I'm sorry, I I did wrong. And I'd really recommend you going to the person that you lashed out at and do the same thing to them. Ask for forgiveness. Maybe you can relate more with Hannah. Maybe it's just something completely, totally out of the blue, out of your control. Let me encourage you to remain faithful. Remain faithful. Persevere. Your faith life is being forced out into the open so that you can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Isn't that wonderful? Don't try to get out of it prematurely. You need it to finish the work that needs to do. Don't try to get out of it prematurely. Let it finish its, finish its works. Just to recap, when you're standing at the crossroad, remember, God's plan 
is not my plan. Two, God is actively involved in my life. You know what? Let's back up. Let's all read these together. One, God's plan is not my plan. Two, God is actively involved in my life. Three, God wants to reveal himself to me. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. And four, feelings are fleeting, but faithfulness is forever. Let's pray. I started with a poem. I'd like to end with one, so just keep your eyes closed and let this sink in. Pain knocked upon my door and said that she had come to stay. And though I would not welcome her, but bade her go away, she entered in like my own shade. She followed after me. And from her stabbing, stinging sword, no moment was I free. And then one day another knocked, most gentle at my door. I cried, no, pain is living here. There's no room for more. And then I heard his tender voice, tis I, be not afraid. And from that day he entered in the difference it has made. For though he did not bid her leave, my strange unwelcome guest, he taught me how to live with her. Oh, I had never guessed that we could dwell so sweetly here, my Lord and pain and I. Within this fragile house of clay, while years slipped slowly by. It's by Martha Snell Nicholson. Father, Father, some will need courage to respond to you. Help them to take that one step, to get one step closer to you. Some, Father, are going to need courage to remain faithful to you. Give them courage as well. Remind us of the work that you finished on the cross. To focus on you. To not get distracted by anything. Our life is yours. We surrender. We commit to being faithful, living your plan, waiting on you, because we know we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.